the only reason gold has the monetary value that it does have is because there's this small chance that one day it will be the world reserve currency again. And Bitcoin is making the exact same bet. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. And this show is brought to you by Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now listen, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for you to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Because with Casa's multi-sig wallet, you can take custody of Bitcoin, but only move by signing transactions from multiple wallets. Ones that you get to distribute into different locations, which is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more, you can reach out to me over email or drop me a DM on Twitter. I've been a customer for over a year and I'm happy to answer any of your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, next up, we have sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now the football season started, it's been a strange start to the season. Tottenham started well, but obviously they fell apart. Typical Tottenham stuff, and Liverpool are crushing it, but it's a bit tied up there. Other teams are doing very well. Now listen, with Sportsbet, you've got everything covered. Not only do they cover football, but they support tennis, motorsports, US sports, they even have esports. And for new customers, there is always a range of promotions available. If you want to find out more, then please head over to sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T. Next up, we have Extras Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as you know, UX is super important to me. So when the Extras team reached out to me, I spent some time playing with the app. And you know what? They crushed it. The experience is amazing, which is why I'm happy to recommend it to you, my friends and my family. Now, the Exodus desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself at Exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Yeah, what do you think of the studio today? Yeah, this is an awesome studio. Thanks for having me here. We got bacon in Disneyland. It's so funny when we uh, travel around to do these interviews, trying to find places, and this one came a little bit last minute, and we were going to record in there, and the guy said we got an art studio. We came in, I was like, no, we've got to record in here. Yeah, I wonder if the sound is going to come out right. Maybe it's a bit echoey, right? I mean, usually we fix that shit, but I don't know, it's weird, man. It's, I don't know if it's too busy. I don't know, I like it. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting. Anyway, man. It's definitely cool. Good to see you. This is like the fifth country we've hung out in, I think. Yeah, maybe more than that. What have we done? Right now? The US, El Salvador, here, Latvia? Um, I don't remember. Maybe the Netherlands at one point. I've, I've, we've not hung out You there. haven't? No. Oh. Germany? Uh, yeah, Berlin maybe. Maybe, yeah, man. Gotta be a bunch. That's what I love about this. Like, anywhere you go in the world, you get to see all your friends again and talk about Bitcoin. And, and today, big day. Let's let's check the price, dude. We had a, a new all... All-time highs, right? Yeah, we hit $68,495 this morning. Last two nights, it shot up during the night. Usually, it's the US leading it. So, uh, interesting times, brother. Anyway, listen, I want to talk to you about a bunch of stuff. Mainly, I want to talk to you about El Salvador because... yeah. You and I have both spent a lot of time there. Uh, ongoing project for Bukele and his team. Yeah, you, you were the trailblazer. 
you were the first to go, the first Bitcoiner. Well, apart from Mike. Yeah. Well, he sure. set it up. Yeah. No, that was uh, that was at La Bitconf. Were you at La Bitconf? Uh, well, I'll be at La Bitconf next week, but no, I have not been to any of these so yeah, far. Yeah, that was uh, La Bitconf in two thousand nineteen, and Michael said, "Do you yeah. want to come and see my project?" and went out there and it was cool but like every everyone's pretty much been there made their pilgrimage uh but you spent how long how long were you there for? i was about three months in el salvador yeah yeah you like you were there during the whole kind of build-up following the session in parliament where they you know passed the bitcoin law through to it coming in like no so, no i i came you... in after it's passed parliament oh you did uh, yeah i was a, a, a oh. bit after it. when it was announced in miami i was in miami of course uh then i basically started to make travel plans and i think i went there like three weeks oh. later i thought you were there the, the law passed one week later or even less than that and i went about three weeks so i was there two months before the law went to, into effect and about a month after and then you stayed until, so it was September, was it the 9th or the 7th? I always forget. Uh, the law mm. went into effect on the 7th? 7th, yeah. I think, yeah, it was 7th, pretty sure. Yeah, no, I left, I went to the US on the 9th, that was it. So yeah. I was there, and you went to McDonald's, I went to McDonald's. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah, I went to McDonald's. The, could you pay with Bitcoin as well? Because I heard there was some different locations. Oh, no, I remember, I think you tweeted about it. No, I texted you. Oh, did you? Yeah, you were having issues with the... Uh, oh, that's it. Yeah, you were having issues with the QR code. It was a bit of a puzzle. Yeah, so I don't know if this is me just being like a typical dumbass like I normally am or or it was just, it was confusing. But what happened was I went to Starbucks, we took the camera crew, went to Starbucks, bought a cup of coffee and it was like seamless. It was so smooth. Just yeah. made the order. They gave you a... They held up their phone. You know, I had my lightning wallet and I paid. What happened was then I went to... Uh, McDonald's, and they had it built into the interfaces, which, by the way, I thought that was... I was surprised they did that. I thought it would be like something at the till. Well, they had both. They had both, but the fact that they built yeah, it into they, those screens... Yeah, said, that's great. Well, the thing in my mind was like, well, you can just launch this globally. But what happened was I ordered, and it said pay, and it came up with a QR code. And I don't know if it's because it was in Spanish on the screen and I couldn't read something. So I tried to pay my Lightning wallet, so it did not recognize this QR code. I was like, huh? And that's when I text you. Uh, it was just not very clear. I yeah. mean, it said in English, just scan this QR code, but it was not... You, you, you'd expect to be scanning the an invoice or yeah. something like that. But yeah, you're scanning actually a URL that takes you to a website and you can make the payment there. I guess the reason they're doing it or the benefits to that solution is that you can choose between Lightning or on-chain. Yeah. While at Starbucks, for example, you can only, you only have the Lightning option. I think that's probably the way to go at this point. But yeah. I think that was sort of the trade-off they made that it's a bit more complicated, but then you can make an on-chain payment as well. Well, that's that's the point. I think they should have done it just lightning only. Because if you're doing an on-chain, what are they doing zero comps or are they doing one comp? Like I who knows? But I felt yeah, like Yeah, I haven't I don't know actually. I don't think I've tried that. They should have just spun up a lightning invoice and let you pay. Well, whatever, but like you helped me through it. So I eventually did it. And uh, yeah, you were there. I've been there. There's a lot to talk about with it. A lot to unpack. Uh, lots of different opinions uh, on whether we should care, whether it's a good thing, whether it's a bad thing, what people think of the Bekele administration, what this means for other countries. But I think I think now is a good time to just talk about our experiences there, what maybe we think about it, and uh, what we think this means. And like as a starting point for me, I just wanted to say is that 
when they announced it and they said three months, I was like, there's fucking no yeah, chance. that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? There's no chance. And even though they had, like, some rollout issues, I was blown away with what was actually available on the 7th. I wonder why they went for... You spoke with yeah. the president. I, I wonder why they went for such an aggressive timeline. Was it purely... Like, was it really what he said, that they're just ambitious and they like to work under pressure? Or was there, you know, maybe some sort of political maneuvering going on where they figured, let's get this through before the IMF really gives us a hard time or before anyone can really stop it? Let's rush it through for that reason. I re because three months is crazy. Crazy. Yeah, it's insane to roll up. Like, there was, especially because there was nothing when they announced it, essentially. I mean, there were some apps, like some people were using Strike and there was the Bitcoin Beach project, but there was no legal infrastructure. The Chiva wallet had to be designed from scratch. There was just nothing. And then, you know, to roll it out within three months, even, you know, well-funded companies take longer to develop a wallet than three months. Yeah. It's, and these have, like, top experts in their team. And they, so, yeah, we agree that that was great. And I'm wondering, what, do you have any idea? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I asked him, I asked him the question uh, in the last interview, uh, but I, I mean, before I tell you what what he told me, I, I I had a web design business, right? So I understand right. I understand what goes into building something technical, yeah. And we built some huge websites and some simple websites. I don't think we would ever even the most basic corporate website three months would be still pushing it because you have to go through uh, a business planning specs, design, UX, testing, rollout, deployment. You know, post deployment bug fixing, like there's a lot into it. So when they said three months of this, I was like, no chance. But what he actually said, I, I put the question to him, what he actually said to me was, whether we said it was three months or six months or a year, we would never have been ready on time. Right. But whatever you set the deadline, you're not ready. So set it ambitious and accept you're going to have like some difficulty, difficulty with the rollout. And that kind of made sense. He gave everyone a deadline they had to work to. And yeah, they had some difficulty with the rollout. I still say on, you know, and Starbucks only had three months' notice, and McDonald's only had three months' notice, and Pizza, they all had three months' notice. I was still able to go into both those places on the morning, and I was able to buy coffee, and I was able to buy a burger, and it worked, and it still blows my mind. But it also says to me, like, somebody, I'm not going to claim ownership of this, somebody tweeted out, it's like, how have Starbucks and McDonald's rolled out Lightning in three months, and lots of the major exchanges haven't? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I would assume the reason, if you want an answer, is because the major exchanges want to build it in-house. They don't want to outsource it to some other, you know, external party. And that's what McDonald's and Starbucks are obviously doing. They're not building their own Lightning implementations. They're just hiring someone from IBEX to do it for them, for example, yeah. Yeah, or maybe there's just not the incentive as well. I mean, do they need, like, is there a massive demand for Lightning really on exchanges? Right now, probably not because yeah. fees are low. Although, you know, today I think they're a little bit higher because we just breached all time highs and people are rushing into exchanges. But yeah, no, there's not a lot of fee pressure in general. So, not a lot of reason to do that, probably. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm still impressed they, they rolled out. I never actually got to play with the Chivo app. I got to see it, but I never got to play with it because. Uh, yeah, I wasn't there long enough. I couldn't download it. Did you? Did you get to play with it? Didn't yeah, you? I did. Yeah, I, I first I was playing with other people's apps, but at some point someone gave me the access, so I've, I have it on my phone now. 
the TiVo app is not great. It's not that's clearly with the TiVo app you clearly see that three months was too aggressive or you know it's just not finished. It doesn't work half of the time. Sometimes it doesn't work at all. Sometimes payments won't work. Sometimes they do. Sometimes you know you get weird bugs when you scan a QR code and it just doesn't work. Sometimes. Funds get lost in the ether. There's all sorts of problems with the app. I think the app is the most obvious solution or uh, example of why three months is a bit crazy. And it kind of pisses me off, to be honest, in a way, because I think it was completely unnecessary to... Like, even if you want to roll out the law on such an aggressive timeline, you can do that without also rolling out the app on such an aggressive timeline. You can make Bitcoin legal tender without necessarily introducing your own app as a government. So, you know, you can just say from now on, we're accepting Bitcoin uh, payments for tax, for taxes uh, from now on. That, that's, th that's the main thing you would have to do to make it legal tender. Yeah, I think uh, this, my assumption is they had to do the app, though, to support the parts, that, to support the um, provisions in the law that said, that you have to accept Bitcoin, but you don't have to hold Bitcoin. Yes, that's that, you're exactly right. Yeah. What the, the obvious out of that would be, all right, we'll do that later. Well, we're not going to enforce Article 7 yet. Solved. They could have done that. And then you also don't need the provision of Article 8, which, or 12, I don't know which article. Yeah, that, it's seven, the one seven, that, 7, 8, and 12 are the big ones, right? Right, I yeah. think so, yeah. I think 12 was the one that guaranteed conversion from yeah. the top of my head. Seven is you have to accept. Yeah. Eight, I think eight was that. If you obviously cannot accept, then you don't have to. Yeah, or you, maybe it doesn't matter, Peter. Yeah, the point being, they tried to, but I, what I think they tried to do was to design the law in the fairest way possible. Well, look, I, I'm not on board with Article 7 in the first place. Okay. I, I would have preferred there to be no Article 7. I would have preferred it because that in most countries, almost every country, legal tender does not mean you're mandated to accept it. Mm. It usually just means that it's the tender, the, the, the currency that you can use by law to settle debts. That's really all it means in most countries. So if you have a legal debt for whatever reason, then you can settle it in legal tender. But if you're operating a shop or you're a restaurant or whatever it is, you're not mandated to accept legal tender in the first place. There are like very few exceptions where in countries where that is the case. And now El Salvador has an exception for Bitcoin where it's actually mandated. I think that sort of contradicts the Bitcoin philosophy in itself. I think Bitcoin for me stands for freedom of currency, use the currency of your own choice. And Article 7 sort of, you know, goes against that philosophy. So I don't really like that. I, I would have preferred it if they... My first favorite option would have been to just abolish legal tender laws. I think legal okay. tender laws in general should just go, go out of the window. We don't need them. Second best option is to make Bitcoin a legal tender, but not mandatory. That would have been... I would have preferred that over the mandatory thing. Now, if they do go the mandatory route, then yes, the provisions are you know making it more acceptable and more fair. Yeah, so I, I asked him about that as well. Um, the reason he said he implemented Article 7, the reason it was so important, he said, is that if he didn't, there is no incentive 
for McDonald's, Starbucks, Pizza Hut, uh, um, you know, uh, Walmart to accept Bitcoin. He said they won't do it. Well, that, that's 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 sort of the chicken argument, a uh, chicken and egg argument. Yeah. You know, the bootstrapping argument. How do you introduce new currency into? the world into a country because yeah people will only want to accept it if they know they can spend it somewhere else and mandating it sort of solves that problem but in my opinion bitcoin already solves that problem with number go up technology that's oh, yeah. the, that's the incentive that's why bitcoin has been catching up so far and that's how why it will continue to catch up it's just limited supply and there's actually very strong financial incentive to want to have Bitcoin. And, and, you know, that solves the chicken and egg problem, in my view. Article 7 is not really necessary. It might speed it up a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it is another way of solving the chicken and egg problem. Then again, uh, how much would that really help? I, that That's something we'll have to see now. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah, you're right that McDonald's and... Uh, but there was, there was something else he added to that that really... Stood okay, out yeah, to me. He said, "He said, but more importantly, I've got five banks in this country. They're all, yeah, multi-billion-dollar banks." He said, "They now have to accept Bitcoin for financial services. It forces the banks to modernize." And I thought that was quite interesting. Like I, you know. I don't think I think I'm neutral on the subject. It's not a very libertarian thing to say. Right? No, but I agree I, with that at least. But I'm not really a libertarian know, anyway. Yeah. So sure. like, um, uh, I, I am. Uh, I've said it before. I'm kind of like politically lost anyway. I'm uh, fundamentally agree with libertarians on lots of things, but you know, I'm not a libertarian. No, but, I'm probably with you on many aspects, but when yeah. it comes to money, I guess I would consider myself very libertarian, Hayekian, yeah. Yeah, look, look, you, you would probably explain it to me and I'd be like, hey, I agree with you, actually. If you went into your thesis on why they should abolish legal tender laws, that you should have, my assumption is you should have competition around money and the freedom to use whatever money you will and therefore the best money will rise to the top. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense to me and I, I agree with you on that. Um I've just explained to you what he said to me, and I just thought the that was the most interesting part, and that you can go now and buy bank services, and they have to accept Bitcoin. They like they it's, the turkeys are now having to vote for Christmas. Yeah, well, I can tell you the banks were not very happy with that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, well, so give me some insight. What do you know? Uh, so, yeah, so there was this week where, uh, as you know, like a lot of Bitcoiners go to El Salvador, yep. went to El Salvador over the past couple of months. And there was one week where me and uh, there was like a small group of Bitcoiners uh, just making appointments at banks, basically, and asking if we could stop by and hearing them out and asking if they had any questions for us. Because there was no nothing coming from the government. There was no information or, you know... A lot of people in El Salvador, especially also the financial institutions, they were really sort of lost. They had no idea what was going on, it, which is, that's one of the things we learned anyways. That was our impression anyways. So yeah, we visited a couple of the national banks and which was kind of interesting that we, you know, we show up in our Bitcoin t-shirts <laughs> and our the enemy. scrubby hair and... Uh, and but and we were let into you know the boardrooms and there we were sitting with uh, either the CEO or the CTO or whatever C level executives were available. <laughs> what was that like? No, that was that was interesting. That was an interesting and kind of funny week uh, week in a way. Yeah. What did you find um, out then? Well, so one of the things we found out was that they had no idea what was going on. Really, no idea. They didn't mm -hmm. know if they were supposed to. 
be mining or they were asking us about Ripple or they were they didn't know the difference between Bitcoin and Lightning or what the difference or if there was a difference or you know really beginner questions um, uh, and they were mostly concerned about sort of AML KYC kind of stuff you know that's the type of thing banks will really get in trouble for if they don't do that well so they had no idea how to deal with that in the context of Bitcoin and um, uh, I would. I, I'm losing my train of thought. There was but some, did, but somewhere did, else I was going. Yeah. To. So, w- but were they accepting Bitcoin for? I was just going to say, yeah, they're definitely not happy because they knew that on September seventh, someone can walk into this bank branch, demand to repay their mortgage with Bitcoin, and then legally they would have to actually accept. Oh right. That so payment, and they had no idea how to do that or where to even start or anything like that. Okay, that's interesting because in my head, when I think about the banks having to accept Bitcoin uh, for financial services, it's like sometimes you have products that you buy from a bank. You know, something like, I don't know, what's an example? Like, I've got a bank card and I pay £15 a month for the fucking metal version where I get a metal card and some stuff I never use, like insurance and bullshit. I don't know why I do it. But like, I pay £15. Like, I actually pay for that. And so my assumption is similar things like that. Where you're buying a service, maybe you're getting a mortgage, and there's like a initiation fee, you know, that you would be able to pay for that in Bitcoin. But actually, what the ability to make mortgage payments in Bitcoin is entirely different. That hadn't crossed my mind. So they had, they have to do that. I mean, any transaction, you would be any legal tender. Like that's one of the things the legal tenders should do. Like if you have a, if, a, if you have a debt in any country, then you should be able to repay it in the legal tender. So yeah. that includes a mortgage debt. So in that case, they would definitely have to accept Bitcoin for mortgage repayments, yeah. They're probably putting the whole infrastructure in this very low number of people who actually would want to. Oh, I mean, judging by my experience in El Salvador, it's probably no one or very yeah, few yeah. people indeed. I mean, you've been there. It's not like that was a very high Bitcoin penetration in El Salvador or anything no. like that. It's most people... Less less people there than probably in London or in Amsterdam or you know in Western countries. I don't think Bitcoin. There were not. There wasn't even a Bitcoin meetup when we showed up there. We started one, but there was no Bitcoin meetup before uh, the Bitcoin law was announced. I think there were not a lot of Bitcoiners there in general. Well, the, so the bootstrapping thing worked for Zonte. It just happened. You go there and like. Everywhere, I think the only place like that, uh, El Gingo was the only place that didn't accept it at the time. Like, but everywhere else was pretty much accepting it. Like, oh they... no, there were a couple of the more, what do I call it? I, I want to say upper class, but that's exaggerating it. So, so the, the, some of the restaurants that were more geared towards American yeah. tourists, they actually wouldn't accept it. Well, El Vikingo is one of them. Oh yeah, that's yeah. One, oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The Belgium-owned uh, restaurant. Yeah. yeah, that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah, so, but most, I mean, what I'm saying is they managed to bootstrap that entire little village, right? Yeah. And it had spread up to Tunco. Like, there were two yes. or three places in Tunco, and you could see how Tunco could then become like Zonte, and you could see how it could spread up the coast and maybe into San Salvador, and over time that would have happened. Now they've... Yeah, it spread to uh, Puerto La Libertad a little bit. I was yeah, there. of course, yeah. yeah. It was pretty small, but still. Yeah, no, it's it's spreading a bit. And you, you can see it in the Bitcoin Beach wallets, right? Where yeah. all the locations are. But my my only thing is like, so that, like I thought it was cool in some ways that you can go to Starbucks and yeah, McDonald's now. 
Now I wonder how many actual transactions. Once the initial kind of excitement, like, do you, do we have do you know any data? Um, no, unfortunately not. I, I I did ask about it. I'm trying to remember if they. I don't think they told me, uh, but I think it's probably safe to assume that it's not very high. Yeah, and I what I don't really have a kind of like a feel for is like the only data I'm really seeing is stuff coming from Bukele, who you know, yeah, you know. So uh, he's obviously going to paint a very promising picture of what's happening, but I, I don't really know. I don't know how many, how many wallets have really been downloaded. I think the last count was like two and a half million. Is that true? Isn't it true? I don't know. I don't know all these things. I think that's plausible just because they were giving away the $30. Yeah, $30 yeah. So there's definitely going to be a lot of people that downloaded it. The question is how many of these people downloaded it just to get the $30? And, yeah. Or... Well, yeah, basically that for that reason alone, and my guess would be most. Yeah, the vast majority would be my guess. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to get reliable statistics. Obviously, um, what Bukele tweeted out like the active users statistic, but active users is usually defined as anyone who used the app in the past month, and then he tweeted it out within a month after the release of the app where everyone would get their $30. So that doesn't actually provide any extra information. We didn't learn anything new other than the downloads, assuming that the download statistics are accurate at least. I did hear a lot of people or a lot of people are using it as sort of a gambling app, essentially. They got $30 for free, and now they're sort of trading back and forth to see if they can make more of With their... shitcoins? Yeah. No, no, no. Just oh, with, just on from, and off? Yeah, from dollars to Bitcoin, because that's free within the app. Yeah. So you can just sort of try to make more of it. I think there's a bunch of self learners doing that. There's also some real adoption, by the way. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely... Uh, there's like a very popular game that the youth plays online yeah. and they're really using Bitcoin because that's the only option, they, like to, especially the youth in El Salvador, they're not going to have credit cards or PayPal or anything like that or banks. So they're actually using Bitcoin to get the, to, to be able to play that game through BitRefill, I guess. They're, they're buying the gift cards. And so there is real adoption. I don't want to downplay yeah, no, and, it and, at all. And, and there is. But uh, I think the Chivo app, to your point, I think most people would probably have just gotten the $30. You also saw the very long lines before uh, in front of the ATMs. Yeah, like that. That was the thing. So uh, at first you could not do that. Actually, you could not just take the thirty dollars from the app, walk to an ATM. Yeah, to do the, one transaction, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there had to be one hop to another Chivo app. So it was l sort of locked within the Chivo system for one transaction, and then after that transaction, it was free to be spent wherever you want, including getting your $30 out of the ATM. So after a few days, people figured it out and there was like a very active market where people would just... Send to their mates. Yeah, either just send it back and forth yeah. or you had these people that were buying up everyone's $30 of Bitcoin for $25 in cash <laughs> and then they would collect all the $30 in Bitcoin and then get them all out of the machine and, at, at once and make a... Fuckers always try and profit. figure out a way to game this stuff. Um, but the people queuing up, like, what was your experience? Because there are, like, anecdotal reports of people going to the chief ATMs who are also buying Bitcoin. Uh, I have from a pretty reliable source that it's, like, 99% was selling at least, really? in, at least in the first week or two weeks, yeah. Well, I mean, but I look, do think a lot of people probably 
sold their $30, but then kept the Chivo app for remittance, for example. Like if their family would want to send some funds later, then they would have the app on their phone. And so, you know, it, it did incentivize them to download the app and use Bitcoin for the first time. So it's not, there's still a win there if, if, if the goal is to get people to use Bitcoin. It's just these free $30 was the main incentive and most people probably just sold it. As but there will be a group of people who didn't sell and their $30 yeah. is maybe like $40, $45 now. Yeah, like, oh, if not more, yeah. Yeah, this is magic internet money. Yeah, and, and it's the way the app is sort of designed, you can see it very clearly that, you know, you have your dollar balance and your Bitcoin balance and they're both denominated in dollars, if I'm saying it right. So you really see that the Bitcoin is going in the right direction and dollars not. So yeah, it might make people, yeah. I mean, for many of us, that's how you get into Bitcoin in the first place, right? You, you notice because something's happening with the price and that's kind of interesting and that piques your interest and that's how you start thinking about the whole thing. and Come for the gains. About, yeah, I mean, I think that's how a lot of people get in first. And so it, it might be just a sort of entry point for a lot of self-adorance. I think that's that we'll have to see how it develops. The, yeah. the story, like the first month was interesting. It's yeah. interesting to see how it launched and it's interesting to see how it started. And it was, you know, interesting to be there. But really, the real interesting story is going to be over the next couple of years to see if people are really going to use it for admittance, for savings, for, you know, uh, uh, PayPal replacements because I can't get PayPal, you know, digital transactions. Like, will it actually be adopted? That's going to be very interesting to see. And that's more of a year's story of yeah. the next couple of years. Yeah, my, my assumption is like there will be a handful of people within that, whatever percentage is, 5, 10, 15% of the people who have been exposed now get orange-pilled and they go and learn about Bitcoin and I don't know what class they will be. It could be across the board. It could be some of the poorest. It could be some of the wealthy. Who knows? But like there will be a percentage who will now be orange-pilled by this and they'll become Bitcoiners and then perhaps they will... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and they will teach other people. But I think that also there's going to be a group of people who are going to miss out and feel negative towards I it. I mean, we, we forgot there are own no-coiners, right? No, yeah. No-coiners are everywhere, so there will be no-coiners. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for some of the protesters and some of the... You know, really anti-Bitcoin people. They were anti-Bitcoin for all the wrong reasons. Really. They were anti-Bitcoin because they were anti-Bukele. Okay. They're not anti-Bitcoin, right? Like my point, I always make. Could, Still, my my point is, if you're if, if you were marching the streets with a big anti-Bitcoin sign, it's probably going to be, you know, it's going to cause some cognitive dissonance to change your mind after that. Presumably, well, we were at one of those protests together. Yeah. Um, my view on that is is that. If Bukele had banned Bitcoin in El Salvador, they would all have been holding up pro-Bitcoin signs and right. fundraising in Bitcoin. The, I don't think there's a single anti-Bitcoin protest. I think every anti-Bitcoin protest is an anti-Bukele protest. So whatever policy he has, they're against. Uh, I would probably go a little bit less far than that. All right, I, all right, I, all right. I tend to agree with the general sentiment of what you just said, but if you... There are some protesters, there are some informed protesters as well. There are some people in that course, crowd yeah. or in general that will have legitimate concerns or at least concerns that I 
agree are legitimate. How fast so, it was rushed through Parliament without consultation, that kind uh, of thing. The lack of transparency yeah. is not a big one. You know, it's still it's unclear who even developed the wallets. We don't know where the funds are held. I mean, that should be a concern that Bitcoiners would agree with. Well, it's custodial and no one knows where the funds are. That's, that's pretty anti-Bitcoin. Uh, I thought it was pretty well known who developed the wallet. Well, tell me. But I think I've been hearing a whole range of names, and I think it's like a combination of them. What? I thought it was Athena. I thought that was pretty public knowledge. Oh yeah. Well, no. They, I think they're part of it uh, on some level, but I also don't think they developed the whole wallet from beginning to end. I think it's like different uh, developers, the different development companies doing different parts of it. I think Bitco is part of it. I think some. Brazilian company is part of it. Uh, some Venezuelan lady was in charge of the whole thing. But again, this was my point. We're, we're not getting any transparency about any of this. So look, you're a Bitcoiner, pretty popular Bitcoiner. You know your shit with us. Like, what do you think they should be doing? My assumption is, like, obviously, proof of reserves and transparency around the app. But like, to, to create trust and transparency and, and within the Bitcoin community, what are the things, you, like what would your message be that they should be doing? My message would be that they should be doing less. Okay. My message would be leave it to the free markets. Let okay. free market developers offer their wallets and their payment processors and their, like that's what I would prefer. You don't need a government sponsored wallet that barely works. It's not necessary really for what you want to achieve. So just do less in general. That would actually be my. So e even if you looked at just the practical reality, you know, the, the Starbucks experience, the McDonald's experience, these were way better than all the Chivo experience. Of course, like, yeah. Th these were companies that actually knew what they were doing, and it works. And that, and and these companies will be eager to, you know, conquer uh, markets like El Salvador because obviously. There's money to be made and there's uh, products to be offered, so they will do it. There's not really a good reason, I think, for the government to go all out with their own wallet. Even if you want to guarantee the conversion, approach it as minimalist as possible. Just mm -hmm. like a, I'm not sure what the minimalist approach would be, but I'm sure there's a way more minimalist approach than what they actually did with the full-blown wallet with all the different options and all the... You know, you have the merchant option and you have the user option and you have the point of sale option, I think. And just the whole thing, it wasn't actually necessary. Just leave it to the free market. That would be my general feedback to the next com country that wants to introduce Bitcoin as legal tender. And have you felt like that from the start or did you get wrapped up in the excitement? Because I certainly got wrapped up in the excitement of it, like the... I knew what was happening because I was down in El Salvador with Jack and I was like, this is... I think just in my head, it was like... Wow, like this thing. I mean, I'm only really like a five year old Bitcoiner, right? Uh, but even in that five years, it's like it's gone from, you know, still kind of a nerd toy with some institutional exposure back in 17 to like, holy fuck, this is on Tesla's balance sheet. Look at what Michael Saylor's doing. And now we have a country making it legal tender. Like, this is incredible. And I've got wrapped up in that, certainly. But the more I speak to like, People like yourself, I'm like, hmm, is this one of these things where like perhaps we've got caught up in a something that might not be great for Bitcoin? Or does it not matter because everything's good for Bitcoin? 
I'm not sure if it's bad for Bitcoin. I wouldn't say it's bad for Bitcoin. Well, I guess the bad thing, if I would have to point something that's bad for Bitcoin, and that's sort of the thing that bothers me, is that, you know, by releasing a app that barely works, essentially the sort of Silicon Valley move fast and break things approach, I think that's not a good fit for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I want people, when they use Bitcoin, to have a good experience. And especially if if it's the first time they're using Bitcoin, I want it to work. And I don't want them to be unsure if the transaction came through or the app is crashing. I don't, like, especially if it's not necessary, just leave it to the free market and then people will have a good experience. And I think that's actually better for Bitcoin. Uh, I do think the fact that they, you know, the fact that Bukele sort of puts Bitcoin on an equal playing field of the dollar, which I already mentioned, you can also do by just abolishing legal tender loss, but this is not mm-hmm. a way of doing it. I do like that. I think that's, that's great. Uh, so I, I sometimes sound negative when I'm talking about this because I'm sort of focusing on the things I don't like or the things that I hope the next country will do better. But no, I, in general, I think the potential for Bitcoin in El Salvador is great. So it's great for El Salvador and, well, to your question, also good for Bitcoin, probably. Yeah, I think it definitely has, you know, the, the, the remittance issue... So there are four benefits for mm-hmm. Bitcoin in El Salvador, essentially four things that have been mentioned. So one of them is remittance. Uh, the second one is banking the unbanked. And then you have a, sort of the image for El Salvador that it's producing a much more positive image for the country, mm-hmm. which was previously known mostly for like gang violence and negative stuff. And now all of a sudden it's sort of on the map as a tech entrepreneurial, tech entrepreneurial nation, which is kind of cool. And, you know, it's attracting Bitcoiners and, we're all going there next week for the conferences. And then the fourth one is decreasing dependency on the US dollar, which I would say is actually the biggest benefit mm-hmm. long term if it catches on. So I think Bitcoin uh, definitely has a lot of potential in El Salvador. And as such, it, it, yeah, it's also good for Bitcoin. It just, I, I, I like it if it's, some of the mistakes were so easy to avoid. Like you could have so easily not have Article 7, which I think would have been fine, or so easily just said, all right, we're going to delay the wallets a little bit and until it actually works. There was no real reason to rush it out, I think. And, you know, so there are a number of problems that were so easy to avoid that it's hard for me to ignore them. Yeah, yeah. I but, think- but in general, I'm... Positive. It's 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 a super interesting experiment with a lot of potential. Super interesting. Yeah. And you know what? Other countries must obviously be looking and oh yeah and right now i think overall it's certainly a net positive for el salvador you've got a increase certain certain amount of increase in um tourism like i don't know how much probably negligible in the grand scheme of things but you've certainly got an increase in tourism. they probably had very little tourism to begin with so any increase is a big increase relatively speaking but you've got that you've got certainly an increase in investment in the country, whether that's people wanting to buy property or people want to invest in companies or you know, have offices there. You've got El Salvador on the global map. Like Bukele is yeah. suddenly globally known. It was a essentially it was a hack for him to become globally known or like a, a interesting one. I, f- I think that's the main reason for him to have done it, actually, by the way. We don't have Do you to- think? I, I suspect, yeah. I think he's he's he, I think he likes the attention and I think he likes the We'll come back to him because yeah, sure. I've got some sure, yeah. nuanced views on, on okay, him. Yeah. Well, you know him better than I do, but yeah. Well, may, yeah, but maybe I don't know him. That's that's the point. But mm-hmm. but it's put El Salvador on a global map, but Bukele on the global map. Um, 
I think it's uh, the remittance is certainly any any money that's coming in that's avoiding Western Union is putting more money in the hands of El, uh, people from El Salvador is great. Um, you know, people do have access to banking services. I think overall, it's definitely a net positive for the country. I'm not 100% sure if it's a net positive for Bitcoin. I think it probably is. But Why, why wouldn't it be? Because I'm thinking where this might go. Like, there are certain ways this story plays out that could be really shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm a bit nervous about that. But like... Can you give an example? Or? Well, I think it depends how the government plays out. I think we have to talk openly and honestly about the government. But I'll come back to that because, again, I've okay. got like views on that as well. But what I was really getting at is other countries must be looking now. Other leaders, other countries, just simply looking at the fact that they've, they're probably, what, 20 25% up on their Bitcoin investment. I mean, yeah, they're building all the animal hospitals now and yeah. whatever else. Schools. Yeah, and, schools you know. Yeah, like let's see if he does build 20 schools. I mean, obviously that's not necessarily a benefit that's repeatable for other countries. Although the no, incentives like, do sort of work out in that direction. You know, in yeah, I mean, but, but other countries must be looking going, hmm, hmm. Well, you, it's a bit like you don't, you don't want to be the last person to buy Bitcoin, right? And you don't want to be the last country to adopt it. Uh, so I think overall it's a net positive story. I'm like, who's next and how do they do it? Because it's, it'd be very easy to do, completely copy what they've did and focus on Bitcoin. It could be very easy to be a crypto nation and support shit. Yeah, that's, stuff. that's the other thing. I didn't mention that, but that's actually something I obviously really do expect that it's sort of, they're focusing on Bitcoin and not all the other bullshit. You think they will get sucked into that? Uh, I, I do think... Uh, Charles Hoskinson writes a check. Uh, I mean, I've I've heard from people pretty close to the government that you know they they do once they they are opening the door to all of that other bullshit essentially, not to make it legal tender, but at least you know by making Bitcoin in that illegal tender, they I think they do hope that all the other bullshit will come as well in one form or another. Yeah, because they got big checks they can write. Charles Hoskinson yeah, does it. He exactly, writes big yeah, checks, right? Like. Yeah. Builds libraries and bullshit. Right. Convince people that Ethiopia needs Cardano and it's, yeah. He builds libraries? I didn't know didn't that. Didn't he build a library in Wyoming? Or oh, I, have no I idea. Fuck knows. Fuck that guy anyway. Yeah, I, um, don't, I don't keep track with any of that. No, he's a penis. Um, <laughs> so let's talk a bit about Bukele. Yeah. Uh, it's a re- I think it's a really complicated and tricky subject. And first time I interviewed him, uh, I said, I felt like, this uh, how job. did that come about? It, so what I'm, happened was he did the spaces. Yeah. His brother came on. I DM'd his brother. I said, I want to interview the president. Can can it happen? He DM'd me back, gave me his number, said, let's do a call. We did a call. I pitched him. I said, look, just this is why I think you should give me the interview. He said, okay, you can have the interview. Come to El Salvador. I can't tell you what day it'll be, but just come here and it'll happen in the next week. So it got booked in and then it got delayed and then delayed again. But like, I got it. And, <clears throat> but I also said, I can't do a cold interview. I want to meet him beforehand. Um, so can we have a meeting? So they invite me up to the, the presidential house. Uh, the were, inf- were, were the questions screened? Nope. Infamous Metallica shirt. <laughs> yeah. Met him and like hung out, asked a bunch of questions. But I told him the topics I wanted to cover. Uh, and, he fed, fed us and we said, you can ask me any question you want, which is great. Uh, 
second interview, I definitely asked tougher questions, much tougher questions. And you know. Oh, there was a second interview. Yeah, I've done a second interview. Oh, that is that published? No, because no. what happened was we were making a film after the well when the law came in, and I asked if I could ask him questions for that. Uh, and film it, which we did. And I'm not going to release that interview until after the film comes out because the f interview was for the film. Right. So once the film's done, I will release the full interview. And I definitely asked tougher questions. I asked him, you know, the questions I think you would want asked. Um, but when I did the first interview, I did say, I think one-term presidencies are tricky because I don't think five years is enough to do this project. You know, essentially, he's made Bitcoin legal tender. You know, he's got, what, two, two years to go to the next election? And yeah, he, three, I think, or at least... I think it's under three now. Yeah, probably. Well, so let's, let's it was three a while ago, so it's under three now, probably, yeah. But I don't think that's long enough. I think, I think most people can see a benefit from Bitcoin in four years, but I think if you have eight years, that's when you really, like... You've you fully understand Bitcoin. You've gone down the rabbit hole. You've learned about saving. You've learned about time. You've learned all the thing you need to learn. And I think that is the same for individual, a company, and a country. And so for me, it felt like one term presidency. It felt like wasn't long enough. So I asked him that question. You know, um, and now I feel like he, there's a lot of people who are critics of him heavy critics such as Hanky, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm in this place where I've, I believe him right now that he wants the best for El Salvador, the country, the people, himself. Mm. Definitely legacy is important, but I, I believe him on that. But how does this all play out? Because any very popular president can... You know, eventually, certainly in that region, slip into more authoritarian ways. I mean, I would say that's how most of them start. Yeah, I think most, you know, Chavez, dictators in yeah. history probably start out well-intentioned and popular, and uh, you know, and then uh, they start to consolidate power, and slowly but surely, it gets worse and worse and worse. So, and know, he has consolidated power. Well, that's very clear that he's doing that. Yeah, but, but I mean, so. I'll, to your point, maybe, I do agree that so far he seems to be doing things that are really in the best interest of the country and he seems well-intentioned, but yeah, it's, you know, we have checks and balances for a reason to prevent this sort of slide down to totalitarianism and he's, he's removing all of these checks and balances, so that is not a good sign if you ask me. Well, his argument is, is that um, corruption was or is, uh, historically, all throughout uh, Salvadoran politics, yeah, every, every single level. And he said, we need to clean house, start again. And I, again, I asked him this question, and he put it to me, he said, if I want to prosecute a judge for corruption, it's, you know, it's going to take years. And if I want to prosecute them, it's going to take years. Why don't I just get rid of the clean house? Now, that could be post-rationalizing a consolidation of power, or it might be like, yeah, do you know what? We do need to clean house. We need to start again. We need, you know, El Salvador needs this. I think the real test will be not the next election, because I think it's pretty obvious he's going to run, and it's pretty obvious he will stay as president. And that, mm -hmm. and like, 
I, you can rationalize it even though it's against the constitution. You can rationalize it and say, he's, you know, he, is, he appears to be doing a good job. He appears to be popular. You know, last four presidents have all been you know, thieves and you know, left the country with millions of dollars or you know, ended up in jail. It's what happens after that. How does he reestablish trust in the political system and does he go for a third term? That's where I think it gets tricky. Is it a third term, a fourth term? You know, that's where I think it gets tricky. I mean, he was not supposed to go for a second term, so no. why not? Why not a third and a fourth, right? Like once you go down that route, why, why turn around? Because I, th I think you can rationalize a second term. You know, the U.S. has two terms, right? You can say, look, one term is. A, I think, like, I'm not agreeing with it. I'm just saying you can rationalize it. Yeah, it's it's more the combination of all of the things like getting mm. rid of the supreme court and yeah. then the judges and, and then the attorney the general attorney general and then extending the sorry, term length term length, length. Yeah, like six it's, years, it's yeah. the combination of all because yeah if it was just term length in the netherlands we don't even have that so you can be minister prime minister your whole life if you if same you get in the uk life. yeah so it's it's like if it's if it's just one thing then sure but you know it's doing all of these things in very short short period of time and I think it, it definitely looks like he's going for of, a of course like power grab and yeah <laughs> the optics aren't great right but it's like I say I and, think and then there was the uh, we I don't know did you ask him I'm curious there was the protester that was uh, arrested I right? did yeah can, can you tell me what he said he said. This guy, is, maybe some context for people that oh, don't yeah. know. Oh, yeah. So, so there was a protester who was an anti Bitcoin protester. He was handing out the uh, no Bitcoin stickers. He, he was a well informed guy, by yeah, the way. Yeah, well informed he, guy. Yeah. He leaked a bunch of private emails, right, with regards to the Chivo app. Am I, is that? Um, oh, possibly. I'm not sure. But I can't remember his name, but he was arrested and uh, and a lot of people... Mario like, Gomez. Mario Gomez, name, yeah. that's the guy. He Was a, was he arrested at the protest we were Right at? before. Right before. It was, yeah, was the, we went to the protest and yeah. right before that protest, he was arrested without uh, any reason given, essentially. He was held for a day, something like that. Yeah, so Maybe again, longer. I asked the president about this and he said to me, he said... He said, there is no benefit to me arresting this guy. He said, I'd never heard of this guy. Like, if I arrest him, I make him famous. I give him a platform. There's no benefit to me. He said, as soon as we found out, we immediately released him. He was like, there's no benefit to me on this. So, again, look, he's a politician. Who knows? Every answer may be perfectly crafted to <coughs> hoodwink me in the audience. Um, you just never know. But like, that Well, he's certainly a star in PR. Yeah. Like, he's obviously very good at that. I thought he was also leaking uh, photos of the Chivo app or the schematics. But anyway. Possibly. Well, someone did. I'm not sure if that was him. Yeah, but, like, he was he was accused of, like, apparently it was what he did was a crime as well. But, I mean, like, I don't know the details. But, yeah, I mean, we need to get this interview out because we've covered nearly all of it now. Right. But, like, look, he, he has an answer for everything. It's, right. Uh, you have to navigate this and say what's right and what's wrong. You know, uh, me and Danny had like a long talk about this because, you know, my first interview was very much a like, hey, friendly interview. And then the second one, I asked some tougher questions and I'm not going to lie, I was fucking nervous with right. the questions I had written down. But I think 
you have to be. But able you were allowed to ask them, and it was not pre-screened or anything no, like that. Not pre-screened, not pre-screened. They allow me, and he answered everything. You know, like a trooper, he took every question, and then afterwards, you know, we shook hands and we talked about it. And we did discuss a third interview. I don't know if it'll happen, but we did discuss. Interesting. A- this is actually the thing. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but in El Salvador, people are a little bit pissed off about this. What? That I've had two. He doesn't speak to Salvadorian journalists, but he speaks to international journalists now. Well, you in particular, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I know he's, he's mine twice. He did Tucker Carlson. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Tucker. I got two. <laughs> no, but like I, I didn't know he did that. By the way, oh, that's interesting. But yeah, no. Um, th- when the Bitcoin law was announced, so first of all, he announced it at the Bitcoin Magazine, the Bitcoin Twenty Twenty One conference in Miami, in English. And that, for a lot of Salvadorians, felt like a betrayal. You know, he was and still is very popular in El Salvador, but you know, he he had this image or name, or you know, people saw him as sort of a, someone who um, stood up for the poor in the country, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, on a you know sunny day in June, there he is in a at a conference in Miami speaking in a foreign language, announcing a new legal tender for their country, which was never discussed in El Salvador itself. And after that, you know, he was hanging out on Twitter spaces and he changed his bio to English. And and, and a lot of people in El Salvador, did, and he was doing an interview with you, and a lot of people in El Salvador did see that as sort of, you know, they felt a bit betrayed, like all of a sudden now he's turning his back and he's... Becoming friends with all these rich international Bitcoin investors rather than the poor Salvadorians who he was supposed to stand up but for. I, that. I can spin that a different way and say, yeah, he. I'm not saying they're right. I'm just yeah. saying this was this is a sentiment that's that I heard a couple of times when I was there. Well, I mean, but he's bringing. And it's obviously not your fault. Just no, to be no. clear, I'm not putting it like that. No, but he's bringing an international spotlight on El Salvador and yeah. leading to investment and tourism, and like he knows the opportunity is like the money. The the money to grow El Salvador is going to come from outside of El Salvador into it. So I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, but people don't see Bitcoin that way. I mean, I no, tend, I tend to agree with you. Yeah, but uh, no, people in El Salvador, at least a lot of people see Bitcoin as this rich Dude. people plaything. It, the weirdest experience for me on the last trip is is where I became part of the en- like I was considered the enemy, and I was part of uh, Bukele's inner circle. I was accused of being uh, doing Bitcoin business with him. Oh, um, you noticed it yourself as well, then. You know about this. Well, I was just telling you about this. Are you telling me something else? No, no. Just- what, what I'm saying is like, like I actually got direct accusations right. of involved in corruption with Bukele. I'm there to do business. I'm there to steal money of the native uh, 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 Salvadorans um, that I'm involved in corruption. I got threatened with oh, violence. I, yeah, I didn't know it was this I got bad. threatened to be attacked. I got told to get the fuck out of the country. My, really? in, my Instagram got astroturfed. Like, absolute shit show. And I even tried to have rational conversations. Say, look, let's just be honest. I'm not involved in any other Bitcoin business apart from doing a podcast, right? That's what I'm here to do. And people didn't give a shit. They're like, I can show you my Instagram from the from a post. It's fucking crazy. Mm. But it was it was clear like astroturfing because there was like a massive pile in. But these accusations are wild. Like wild, wild accusations. 
But that's why I felt like the second interview. So I had, who who is accu accusing you of this? Political like, opposition. Oh, political opposition. Yeah, you, you know, like the protesters. Yeah, it's yeah, their yeah. groups. Their yeah. groups. Um, and it's like the the equivalent of like there's a spectrum. There are there are people who've got valid concerns on the opposition, and then they've also the, Salvador has its own woke. Oh yeah. Yeah. What What do you mean? Like just you know the people who are from like I went to one of uh, the protests, the one that was in the that's um, like roundabout with the like justice. Uh, Scales of justice thing. Fuck, I'm so shit. I remember stuff like this. But anyway, like, and it was very much a progressive crowd, which was cool. Mm. Like, no issue with that. But the arguments, they were, and they were literally screaming in my face. It's like screaming in my face, like, get out the country. We're going to fuck you up. And, and I was like, really? We, yeah. Can we talk? Can we interview? Like, you know, you think I'm like supporting the president? Let's hear your side. They didn't want to talk. Eventually, one guy spoke off camera, but they were screaming in my face. Interesting. Very similar to, it felt very similar to any woke crowd that yeah. you've seen over the last two years screaming in people's faces. Right. You know, like, and won't listen to a rational conversation. Do you know what they were screaming? Because I'm part of the supporting the Bukele presidency. I'm involved in corruption. I'm here to make money out of the people of El Salvador. Like, it's, it's just oh, that shit. Yeah, well, now you mentioned it. I've experienced a little bit of that. Not yeah. as bad as you. Yeah. But yeah, I've I've experienced a couple of times when I mention that I have anything to do with Bitcoin, then I'm automatically, you know, Bukele's best friend and therefore not a real journalist and an enemy of whatever El Salvador. Not a good guy, for sure. And not a real journalist. Oh, obviously, that's that's literally been told to me. You're like yeah. truly our best fucking journalist in Bitcoin. Oh, thank you. Hands down, I, say I'm not that. sure if that's true, but it thank is true. you anyway. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. And this show is brought to you by BlockFi. And you can now earn a $250 bonus in Bitcoin when you sign up with BlockFi, as they have recently launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa signature card. Now, for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card is the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every card purchase and there is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats with Bitcoin rewards on every purchase. You can also earn 2% in Bitcoin on every purchase over $50,000 of annual spend and you can also get 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership. But please do make sure you check out the terms for this. Now, if you're interested in finding out more, then please head over to blockfi.com forward slash peter which is b-l-o-c-k-f-i.com forward slash p-e-t-e-r and next up we have ledger the world's most popular hardware wallet now a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your bitcoin and i have been a ledger customer since way back in early 2017 and the nano s i bought back then yep I'm still using that bad boy now. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up today, we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying. I have not sold a single sat through Gemini because we are in a bull market. And you know what? I just don't want to sell my Bitcoin. I'm a hodler. 
you're a hodler right. Now I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have Compass Mining. And you know what? They are not just a sponsor. I am also a customer of theirs and I am now mining Bitcoin. And you know what? I've been mining for three months now and I've mined 2.7 Bitcoin, which is worth over $15,000, which is pretty cool. Now that does fluctuate. It fluctuates based on the price, could be a lot higher, but you know what? I've already paid off one of my S19s and I'm close to paying off the second one. It is so good to be back mining. And you know what? I just really love these guys. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded and now anyone can mine Bitcoin with Compass. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they will do everything else for you. If you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-G dot I-O. So back back to Vikeli. So you think this you think he's actually done the Bitcoin law to make himself famous? Because I don't buy that one. Um I mean, look, I'm fairly new to El Salvador, obviously. Yeah. I, I'm not an expert in El Salvador. But yeah, some of the people that I've gotten to know over the past couple of months while I was there, they did. I've heard this from different people that mm-hmm. didn't know each other and that seemed that they were interested in politics, that it was sort of a common thread that he, he has a big ego that needs to be fed and he likes the attention and he likes... You know his name being out there, and that's sort of the guy, the type of guy he is. That's what he's looking for. And uh, I know that very specifically. One of the sort of arguments that have been presented to him in favor of the Bitcoin law was, "Look, you can make history as the first president in the world to introduce Bitcoin as a legal tender." Like this has been explicitly presented to him as an argument, from what I know, and. I mean, I don't know his inner workings, obviously, but it, from what I hear, this is definitely sort of one of the things that drives him. It's just ego and prestige and being the first president to introduce something like that would you know, definitely, like you mentioned, you mentioned this, would put his name you know, in history, essentially. Mm. That, that would have been a big reason for him to do it. Do you think- I, I, I think that's very plausible. I've... I don't know him personally. I don't know his inner workings, but from what I've heard superficially, I guess, I, it sounds plausible. Do you think you can do that job without an ego? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. There are probably different le- you know, levels of it, though, and he, he might be on the high end of it. Yeah. So how do you think it plays out? Like, and what, what, what are the things you're kind of keeping an eye on with El Salvador now as a journalist? Um, the most interesting thing to see will be if people adopt it in a real way. If they will actually start to accept Bitcoin without converting it to dollars. Because that's really necessary in the end for it to be successful. Um, So we could go sort of point by point. Like you have the remittance argument. That's, you know, one of the arguments in favor of Bitcoin. Uh, And I think that's actually 
if you really want to get into that, that's pretty nuanced because right now with Bitcoin remittance and with Achiever wallet, remittance is essentially free. Mm-hmm. But you know, in the real world, it costs money to move money around. Friction. That's just the economic reality. So really, the reason that it's free to do remittance over Bitcoin is because it's being subsidized by the government. And by remittance in this context, to be clear, I mean you have dollars in the United States, you convert it to Bitcoin, you send a Bitcoin to El Salvador, you convert it to dollars again. That's mm-hmm. what I mean when I say remittance. But if people actually start to circul- use Bitcoin and circulate Bitcoin, then there's a real economic benefit because now remittance is a thing of the past. Or we'll save it. Sure, sure. I yeah. mean, circulate, safe, use yeah. it as money rather than just for remittance itself yeah, yeah. Uh, is what I mean. So it will be interesting to see if people actually start to do that. Because if they only use it for remittance, if they just you know convert in and out of dollars, then the, the government is subsidizing it, but they won't do that forever. At mm-hmm. some point, they have no more money to subsidize with, I would assume, or a new president comes into power or you know they, they'll have to stop. So it, it's sort of essential that people actually start to use it for that benefit to play out long term. My assumption is there's like a tiny spread in there somewhere. There's a tiny spread? Yeah, I, my assumption is like they can't be just given away the spread each time. I mean, I tried it. I, I had someone send me $20 and I went to the Chivo ATM. And it, what I actually did was I took a photo of the QR code and uh, sent that to someone on Twitter. It, there's a Twitter thread where you can still see this. and. I posted a video and within four minutes, I had $20 in my hand from the Chivo ATM. Uh, I think there may have been like, maybe there was like a 10 cent spread, maybe. But that's obviously very low compared mm. to the actual friction or what Western Union would be. Uh, and I, most li- I think that's probably just price fluctuations. That was probably the reason for that 10 cents. And mm. it was 20 cents, but it was, I think, the mining fee. So no, I think that's actually fully subsidized. Damn. Yeah. Well, listen. I, I mean, I think it's going to be three and a half years till we know. Like, uh, I well, a big, big factor will be what will the price actually do. So yeah. far, so good. Like you already mentioned, if the price goes up, that will obviously, you know, start to interest some people also in El Salvador. And one, there, you know, if they see the thirty-five dollars go up, so the interesting thing will be if people start to adopt it, and it can be for financial reasons or for. Uh, remittance reasons or like we mentioned the, the kids that are using it because they can't have PayPal reasons you know if they want to play an online game um, it w- yeah it will be interesting to see how it plays out it's, it's it, bringing it back to one of the first things we mentioned is I you know about abolishing legal tender laws the reason I think you might as well abolish it is because money is really something that's Emergent. It's something that mm. people use because it benefits them because they want to use it. Like language, similar. You know, we're speaking English because you don't speak Dutch, so we're, we're settling on English, and it has and a benefit. Every, everyone in Holland speaks brilliant English. Yeah, well, ugly accents though. Yeah. But, um, I was saying, yeah, I, I think money has a very emergent property, and it will. We'll have to uh, see if it plays out for Bitcoin. Yeah, well, I can't remember the interview recently, but somebody, we talked about you basically have to do four years on Bitcoin. It's like, that's your first tour of duty, four years. Once you've done four years, you've done a cycle, you've fucked up, you've learned your mistakes, you kind of get it, and then like it gets easy after that, right? 
but it feels like they, as a country, it has to go through that, and it feels like it's going to go through its bearish time. You know, there are going to be people, let's say Bitcoin goes to $150,000, there are going to be some people buying Bitcoin at that price, and then it might go down to like 60000 and they're going and, to, and that's when the critics are going to have a field day in El yeah, Salvador. Yeah, it's going to be painful. Yes. It's going to be fucking painful, which is probably when it will come back to, you know what, maybe it wasn't the smartest idea to do it this way. Who knows? Oh, people I mean, that l- narrative will certainly take hold in a bear market, yeah. Especially with sure. Hanky, the motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, the, the people love to post rationalize, but then, you know, then there'll be another bull market. And like, who knows? Well, if, if, we, if we keep having these cycles. But I think it's going to take a few years to realize. Ultimately, I think it will be good to El Salvador for El Salvador because I think in four years' time, there will be a lot more Bitcoin in the country than there was before. And that Bitcoin will have appreciated in value. So ultimately, the net wealth of the country would have risen up. Risen up? Been raised up because of that. So. We we will see, man. Right. Few other yeah. things. I mean, it, it does depend in the end on whether people will adopt it. Yeah. Because because people can use Bitcoin anywhere. Obviously, it's not like you need it to be legal tender, and it doesn't necessarily mean that people will use it if it's legal tender. So, but you could be right, and we'll have to see. What do you make of this last year anyway? Because like it's been the most interesting year I've had in Bitcoin, and it, like 2017 was interesting because of the fork wars, but like this has just been. It feels like every week there is incredible new news. It's like ETFs, Tesla, MicroStrategy, El Salvador, you know, banks adopting it. Like, and you'll see like a bank in Thailand's adopting it. Like, Estonia's considering it. Like, there's just constant feed of positive news. It feels like we've, we're just approaching the suddenly phase. It's, I think it's been an incredible. But, but what do you make of it? Because you've been around a long time. You report on it. You're close to the news itself. So adoption-wise, it's amazing. It, you know, things that would have made headlines. You know, that would have been breaking news a couple of years ago are barely noticed. Now <laughs> you just mentioned some. For me personally, this is not the most interesting year, though. I, I thought more, I'm more interested in like the fork war type of stuff that the you fight. mentioned and. The whole block size war. I, for me personally, that was a very interesting time because that was sort of a time when, in a way, the whole idea of Bitcoin was sort of being shaped in people's minds. That's and fair. What What is it actually, and what are we debating about, and what defines Bitcoin, and what, you know, why are we here? Essentially, that was sort of what the debate was really about. And for me, that was very interesting. All the adoption, you know, that will just keep happening, presumably. So what is Bitcoin now and why are we here? Get philosophical with me. Yeah. You, you want to go there? Yeah, let's go there. <laughs> I, do you know what? It's funny. I actually think it's one of the hardest questions to answer when it's just like as simple as what is Bitcoin? Oh, that's that's the… That's like what's your go-to? Um, I, I think my go-to would still be uh, digital cash, cash for the internet, uh, a type of money that you, you don't need a third party for. You know, you if I pay you, then it's really a transaction from me to you without us needing anyone else. Digital cash is still my go-to answer, but then digital gold is sort of the limited supply follows shortly after that. And and from there on, I guess, it depends who I'm talking to. Mm. You know, just sort of feel what someone is interested in, you know, is someone more an activist type or more an investor type or more an entrepreneur type or just someone who likes to travel or whatever, yeah. Take it from there. Yeah, I um, 
I've always changed. Like I did the digital gold thing for a while. Uh, and then I stole one from uh, VJ Boyer Party, which he said to Tom Woods, he said, uh, Bitcoin is like uh, gold, but with this magical property that you can teleport it around the world. And I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. Uh, and then I, uh, Jean Pfeffer said to me about, uh, Winston said that uh, money is a ledger and Bitcoin is the best ledger there is. Now, recently, I've just started saying when people are like, well, yeah, what is Bitcoin? I just say, uh, it's the best form of money that's ever existed. And then I allow them to ask me questions. They don't want to ask me a question, fine, I'm off. Yeah. But then they're usually like, why? And I'm like, well, there's three forms of money. There's Bitcoin, there's gold, and there's fear, which is pounds and dollars. And you know, this one's infinite. This one's difficult to transfer. This one has the best properties of all. 21 million gets people. We just got a guy, the guy we rented this off, he's like, he didn't even know that. He was like, what? Yeah, it's fixed limit. And we're, oh, really? Some people don't know? Yeah, he didn't know that. And we were like, yeah, there's <laughs> already already ni- like close to 19 million. But was it December? December well, well, is he a Bitcoin or no? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Well, that, that explains it then. Yeah. yeah, sure. Not everyone knows that. I was, I'm assuming that everyone who calls himself a Bitcoiner would know that. Yeah. That would be a safe assumption, hopefully. No, he's not a Bitcoiner. He's an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why are we here? We'll go there. Why are we here? And why are we here? Why are we doing this? <laughs> um, well, I think the the fiat currency system is clearly not working very well. I think it's uh, increasing inequality, uh, and I think we need a better, fairer form of money. And I think limited supply money actually makes a lot of sense. It's the best way to track value, not just across space, but also across time. Because you know the 21 million will always be 21 million, and I think that's the best way to organize an economy to have a you know a, a very objective measure ruler, and that's Bitcoin. I think that's that's like you said, Bitcoin is the best money, and that's why I'm interested. But uh, but also, I, I mean, the censorship resistant part is very important mm-hmm. as well. I mean, WikiLeaks is, is sort of the original example for me, where. The, the financial infrastructure was just completely abused in an extra legal way to shut down a critical journalist uh, by you know blocking all the banks uh, bank transfers and credit cards and Bitcoin actually offered a solution and I think that's another very big benefit of Bitcoin itself. Did Did you hear what Sailor was saying yesterday? I think it was on Pump's show. No. He was saying it was an interesting one because. Uh, I think it was Ty tweeted out, wondering like what you know, supporters or fans of Sailor would think of this. But Sailor was saying, uh, and I think it's definitely worth like diving into. He was saying what he wanted from the Bitcoiners is to focus on Bitcoin versus gold. You know, gold is it really is just a rock. It serves you know, little purpose. You can't loan it out. You can't send it. He's like, it's it's a difficult thing to use. You can't program it, yada, yada. It isn't, it doesn't have an army. It, like, it isn't uh, a sovereign to a specific country. It is just like this rock that is very hard to use as money. And it's like, whereas if you, if you take on currencies, you're taking on armies and governments and central banks. It's like, Gold is being demonetized right now. That's where Bitcoiners just focus their time on on gold. And I, I think some people would argue that uh, there, you know, somebody's holding billions in Bitcoin. I think the suggestion is that 
there's a reason for him to say that because he doesn't want to be the enemy of a state with that much Bitcoin. But I also can argue his side and say, actually, that's a fair point because... So hang on, hang on. When you say Bitcoin should compete with gold, what he means is it shouldn't compete with fiat. It should just be the sort of store value thing that's just the store value thing. I think that's he's, what he's saying, saying he's saying focus on the story of... Like Bitcoin will do what Bitcoin does, right? If it destroys fiat, it destroys it. We can't decide that. But I think he's saying focus your energy on fighting gold and winning and beating gold because, you know, the dollar does have an army. And the, the, what, what he said, I think the point he was making, because he said it on a spaces recently, he said, as long as there are nation states, and as long as there are governments, they're going to be sovereign currencies. And in the short term, they're not going to be going away. So I can see the point he's trying to make. Well, that's not obvious to me at all, by the way. I think I, in the short term, it is to me. Well, what do you define as short term? Do I see the fall of the nation state in my lifetime? No, it's not necessarily the fall of the nation state, but you can still have nation states without fiat currencies. No, of course, because yeah. they could adopt Bitcoin. For, yes, clearly. Yeah, clearly. But at the same time, like I think the point he's trying to make is, is like let's focus on the energy and what we can win right now, and perhaps, you know, sarcastically people say Trojan horse, but like perhaps in doing that, Bitcoin gets even bigger during that period and and then afterwards it can go for fiat currencies. I, I, that doesn't make sense to me because I think gold itself is competing with fiat currencies, essentially. I think mm -hmm. the okay. only reason gold has the monetary value that it does have is because there's this small chance that one day it will be the world reserve currency again. That's mm -hmm. sort of, you know, you're sort of betting on that happening and that's where the monetary value is kind of coming from and bitcoin is making the exact same bet in a way so, you know i think the value from bitcoin is essentially sort of a bet on it becoming the world reserve reserve currency in the end so bitcoin and gold are doing the same thing it doesn't really make sense to me to then focus on gold because gold is itself focused on fiat if you know do you understand what i mean are you following me yeah yes and no like i see it's it's kind of Halvini's it's kind of a Halvini's original argument. Yeah. It, you know, when he was first trying to value Bitcoin, he made this you know back of a napkin calculation where he said, "What are the odds of Bitcoin becoming the world reserve reserve currency?" And then you know, sort of dividing the million. price of what it would be by the odds of it actually coming there, and that's sort of how you would value Bitcoin today. It's a little bit compli more complicated if you want to get into it because there's time preference, but that's how I sort of think about it. And then I, the way I see it, gold and Bitcoin are doing the same thing. Gold is making that, you know, how much would an ounce of gold be worth if it becomes a world reserve currency again? What are the odds of that happening? And I think that's sort of the value of gold and Bitcoin is doing the same thing. So it doesn't make sense to me to focus on gold. They're both focusing on fiat. Interesting. I have to put that to him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Come never on. Never spoken with him. Never uh, met him or anything. He's he, again another interesting character who's now firmly part of the history of Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, who? I mean, I've got so many questions I want to ask him now. I've interviewed him twice. Um, I've got newer questions I want to ask ask of him. Um, I think it makes total sense. This is the first thing you suggested. I think it makes total sense for him to say that 
because of the position he's in and because he doesn't want to get into any sort of unnecessary trouble, it's a very easy way to just say, let's focus on gold because, you know, gold is allowed and it's in it. So it makes sense from his position to maybe say that even if it doesn't mean it, but... But I think he does mean it. Yeah, he, I think he does. I don't think he's an anarchist. Right. You know, I, I, I think he's somebody who believes in freedom coming from democracy, whereas other people believe freedom come like democracy holds freedom back, like democracy and democracy is anti freedom. But I think he believes freedom comes from democracy. That's my assumption. But I would love to ask him the question. I mean, next time I interview him, I will. I think he's a very interesting character. Um, I. Again, he polarizes people. Um, he's not popular with everyone. I mean, hasn't he in the past suggested that Bitcoin should be, you know, fully KYC proof, AML, sort of pushing for that kind of stuff? I don't remember. Him I, re- I recall that vaguely. I could be wrong, mm, but I, I do recall that. And I, I mean, I, I obviously don't y- like that. Yeah. Uh, but like, also, Sometimes you have to explore ideas. I've explored ideas right. and like been yelled at for. Like there was a time where I suggested, I think it was to Giacomo, like, why don't we offer a truce with Roger Veer? Like, you know, Bitcoin's already run. Yeah, they like fucking got yelled at. Like, the there, two- there's two kinds of people. Some people sort of explore their ideas in public and yeah. then get yelled at. And then there's the type of people that explore their ideas in private and will only ever say something once they figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, you're clearly category one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm like, but happy to hold that because it's, and because I'm always happy to admit that I was wrong or like I've got a changing view of things and I'm trying to, like I'm trying to reflect my thoughts but also the thoughts of people I think who listen to the podcast right. in a similar position and I, I don't think there's any harm in doing that. Perhaps he's doing something similar like when you're that public, Essentially, your ideas are being A/B tested in the public space. You know? It's interesting how big of a star he became in a year. But dude, he bought like three billion dollars sure. of Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, still though, like you know, eighteen months ago, no one had heard of him. I think it was eighteen months ago, and mm. now he's like the superstar of Bitcoin. That yeah. that went really fast. It's the Bitcoin hack, man. Yeah, yeah. All right, two other things I want to talk to you about. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine is going. Analog. Yeah, we're we're gonna make a print magazine again. That's fucking cool, man. One that you can fold and hold in your hand and. Well, I get the uh, Citadel Twenty One, and it's it's lovely. It's right. just lovely getting that in there. Uh, shout out to Holland or but uh, and and um, what's her name? Fuck, I've got her name. Who's he do it with? Oh, hold on out. Yeah, he makes it with. Um, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, the two of them. Big shout out to them. Uh, but that's lovely getting that. It's like it's just beautiful, and uh, to think that Bitcoin Magazine is going back to print, I think it's really fucking cool. Yeah, I think I don't know when this is going to be published, but it should be in stores probably when this is published. I think, or or at least Do we very know when soon, that is, uh, like next week. Yeah, within a few days, I think. Oh yeah. right. So, or and you can, or maybe at first you can only subscribe. I'm not actually sure about the logistics. I should maybe know, but yeah, no. Uh, it's, it, it the first magazines are rolling out. What was the, the decision the to do right that? Now. Um, I, first of all, the people that are doing it, which is me and Mike Germano, mm. uh, Annabelle and Joe, we really like print magazines in general. Just uh, for me, it was always, you know, even back when I started journalism, you know, back in journalism school, that was also always sort of the thing I wanted to do. It, for some reason, I like it. Uh, it it's just, it, it has a special something to it. And I think we're also, we want to treat it like that. It's sort of a... 
uh, you know, the the best of Bitcoin Magazine in a way, like we, the the most in depth stories, the most uh, uh, the original interviews, and uh, like the crown jewel of the comp- company mm. in a way. That that's what we really hope it to be. Um, so yeah, the first magazine will have the El Salvador uh, issue that will be my cover story then for you know that's the main reason I was in El Salvador mm-hmm. so my cover story about um, you know the whole rollout will be the 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 main story in the first edition of the magazine well so it's a massive piece yeah that's um, how long is it uh, pretty that's long thousands yeah. of words yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, we have Max Kaiser who's contributing. We have a story about the China exodus. We have um, what else do we have? We have like a travel guide for El Salvador, so anyone nice. who wants to go can check that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Like everyone who writes to me, like you've been to El Salvador, thinking of going. Like how safe is it? It's like I've never had a problem. No, me neither, and I've not heard of any problems either. So it does have a ba- very bad rap, but it seems to be fine. Uh, I, you know, there are there obviously is a lot of gang violence, although it's been dropping over yeah. the past couple of years. Yeah. But I think they mostly focus on just basically extorting people in parts of El Salvador. I mean, it's still ugly, but my impression is that tourists are more or less left, left alone. Left yeah. alone. Uh, I've only I've mostly been in the capital, and then even in the capital it was mostly sort of the richer areas of the capital, mm. and then the tourists. In some of the tourist towns, and I felt fine and safe everywhere. Yeah, uh, and you know, there's Ubers, as you know, it's like easy to get around. It's not. Yeah, I felt fine. Right. I think it's fine. Okay, yeah. let's fin- let's finish on Taproot. Um, and my on a frame that's a way that's going to really piss people off. I still fucking don't understand Taproot. Like, it's, yeah, it's going live this weekend. Yeah, uh, like seven hundred and twenty odd blocks to go. Uh, for me, it's like one of those things that's great for devs, great for techies. It's great for Bitcoin. I like still don't know. I don't. I don't know why I care about Taproot as a casual user of Bitcoin, uh, not as somebody who's a Bitcoin hardcore person. Well, you you care about Bitcoin doing well, presumably, yeah, yeah. and I think for Bitcoin to do well, it's important that uh, the properties of Bitcoin, you know, are as well developed as they can be. And I, one of the important properties of Bitcoin, I would say, is fungibility of mm-hmm. any money. Like any money has to be fungible, which means that one currency unit should be worth the same and interchangeable for another currency unit. You know, mm-hmm. one dollar bill should be worth the same as another dollar bill, and doesn't really matter which one you have. That's what fungibility is. Say with golds, like as long as one ounce of gold or another ounce of gold doesn't matter which one you have. It's it's fungible. And uh, Bitcoin does. That's one of the actually one of the Achilles heels of Bitcoin. I would say is that it doesn't really have that. Uh, or at least it's not great because every Bitcoin UTXO has its own unique his- history. You can sort of see where it was spent before and you know, every Bitcoin has its trace or it leaves a trail on the blockchain. And um, you can, for example, see which Bitcoins were used in which wallets or in which ways. And that harms fungibility. Mm-hmm. This helps, you know, the the analytics, the blockchain analytics, analytics companies of this world, 
sort of spy on everyone or figuring out who owns what or which yeah. coins are moving where and all that kind of stuff. Big fuck you to chain analysis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. So it would be good if we could make their jobs harder, at least. Yep. It would be good if we can make the chain analytics guys, you know, their jobs harder. So one way of doing that is making Bitcoin more fungible. And the way to do that, one way of doing that is making transactions less distinguishable from each other. So if if we can make every transaction look more or less the same, then you can't tell anymore in what wallet it was used or how it was used and that kind of stuff. So uh, one example would be a lightning transaction. You know, a lightning opening, closing transactions are very easy to pinpoint as such on the blockchain. So you can see, you know, that guy was using lightning and that guy was not, and this makes it easier to trace funds over the blockchain. Um, Taproot makes that sort of stuff harder. It makes uh, lighting transactions, to stick with that example, look like regular transactions. Or at least, yeah, it's possible to make a lighting opening and closing transaction just look like any other, you know, look like the guy that's buying coffee on chain then. So it, it all looks the same. So it's benefiting fungibility. So that's the essence of it. I, do you want to go into technical details or No, no, no. I mean yeah. that, that's I mean yes and no. Like uh what I care about is uh, it, it also benefits scalability a bit by the way. Okay. So that you know that's another big issue for Bitcoin obviously that Bitcoin has this limited block size and therefore limited amount of transactions that can be processed over the network. There's a good reason for that, namely you want everyone to be able to run their own node which keeps the network decentralized and secure. But it does mean that fees go up and you know there's less room for transactions. And Taproot helps with that as well because it makes certain types of transactions like lightning transactions, which I just mentioned, more compact. You can fit okay. more of them in blocks and therefore more of them on the network. Yeah, so people talk about this like this is the biggest upgrade for Bitcoin since SegWit, right? This is like super important. But I'm like so far removed from it because I'm not tech. It's not technical. It's not technical. Um, and I feel like I should like know more about it, understand it. I've done like two sessions with Andrew Polstra and he explains it all to me. I'm like, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. But like, I know it's good for Bitcoin, but it's a bit like, I'm sure there's amazing upgrades happen to my mobile phone every time they do a new version. I don't know what the fuck they are. I can still make calls and texts. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the, it's a lot harder to make upgrades to Bitcoin than to your mobile phone. Yeah. So that makes it, uh, well, at least more interesting to me. I think that has also, always been a topic that, that I find super interesting is how do you upgrade a decentralized system like Bitcoin where no one, you know, there's no one to dictate the upgrade. There's no one in charge. There's no one who says what's supposed to happen or when. So if you want to upgrade a system like Bitcoin, it's actually, you know, very interesting type of science of how to figure it out yeah. and what role the miners have and what role the users have and what the economic incentives are and what the best timing is. And that, that's very fascinating. But on that point, while we are recording this, uh, it seems like only half of all Bitcoin nodes have upgraded to Taproot. Meanwhile, we had a big mining migration. So all of the miners that were signaling for Taproot eight months ago, whenever it was, not clear how many of these miners are still actually mining or how many miners are new. I'm, Is this a problem? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. 
It doesn't look great to me. It would be nice if we see if we'd seen bigger, um, more adoption. You know, more nodes upgraded. The, well, the problem is if half of the network is upgraded to new rules and half of the network is not, and then a transaction shows up that breaks the new rules, then the old nodes they don't care because they don't care about new rules, and then you can get in situations where the network splits and all of a sudden. We have a very ugly mess where it's not clear which network is the real Bitcoin. But I thought nodes were backwards compatible. Uh, well, they are backwards compatible if a majority of miners is enforcing the new rules. So in that case, we're ah. fine. If a majority of miners by hash power is enforcing the new rules, we're fine. But like I was saying, back when we were signaling, it was maybe a very different group of miners than now. Now I think we'll be fine. I'm, okay. not, I'm not really concerned, but it's also not ideal if I'm looking at the stats right now. But right. We'll probably be fine. So we think this upgrade to the most important monetary network in the world, which is going to be the backbone of the future financial system, will probably, probably be fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck, Karen. Oh man. Right, it, it depends. It depends to a large extent on the miners. As okay. long as they're at least a little bit informed about what's going on, we should be fine. Okay. So let's hope they are. Fingers crossed, man. Listen, good to see you. Yeah, Love you too. Always uh, tell people where to follow you, where to read your writings. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at uh, Aaron Van W. Um, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm writing for the print magazine now mostly. So that's, you can just, if you go to bitcoinmagazine.com, you'll certainly find like a, how to order the print magazine section anywhere there, somewhere there, or in Barnes and, Barnes and Noble, or yeah, you can subscribe. I'm also doing a podcast, uh, with the technical podcast with Shorts, which is Bitcoin Explained. Well, I'm happy to come on anytime and explain anything you need. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Mate, listen, great to talk to you. Uh, I stand by what I said. I think you are the best journalist in Bitcoin. I think it's not even close. We're always talking about your work. I think what you do is brilliant, and I appreciate you, and just keep crushing, and it's always good to catch up with you, whichever country we're in, man. So, uh, yeah, take care. Keep doing it. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, you want to reach out to me, the best thing to do is head over to my Telegram channel, or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And if you want to support the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Okay, see you all very, very soon.